Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week, I'll explore a case, the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. Hey, welcome to Red Rum Blonde. We've all seen Russian nesting dolls or stacking dolls. The colorful wooden toys that open to reveal another secret doll inside. In Russia, they're called Matryoshka or Matrona, a popular female name from a long time ago. It also comes from the Latin word for mother, mater. It's crazy how many dolls can fit inside one big doll. Just when you think you're at the end, you find another doll inside. It really reminds me of the story for this week's episode, full of layers and intricacy. On the surface, it seems simple. A woman is shot in her parents' driveway. She lived in a small town, so it should have been simple to track her killer, right? It was anything but simple. In fact, every person involved seems to have a different take on who the victim was. Her family says that she was a dedicated teacher, fiancé, and a loving daughter. Others say she was the femme fatale who seduced one of her students. Or she might have been the woman ready to blow the lid off police corruption. This week, I'll look at the murder of Rachel Del Tondo. Aliquippa is a town in the western portion of the Pittsburgh area. It's about 30 minutes from the city. The population is roughly under 10,000. 
And in 1940s, it was a lot more, around 27,000. But like most towns in the Pittsburgh area, it was dependent upon steel. When the steel mills began to close, it caused huge economic loss. Businesses left or closed, and they were followed by most of the residents. And, you know, when that occurs, crime follows. But shockingly, the crime rate in Aliquippa is 85% higher than Pennsylvania's other cities and towns around the same size. According to statistics, your chance of becoming a victim of crime there is 1 in 41. That's pretty high. This murder that I'll discuss today is one of nine unsolved murders from Aliquippa in 2018. So what's going on there? Let's find out. Rachel Del Tondo and her friend Lauren Watkins had just been out to get ice cream. Minutes after Lauren dropped Rachel at the edge of her parents' driveway, a 911 call was made. Shots had been fired. Rachel had been shot at least 10 times at close range. The blaring question was why. Why would a beautiful 33-year-old be gunned down at her own home? But just like the nesting doll, to find the answer, you have to go through many layers. Let's assume it wasn't a random killing, and look at her close relationships. I got a good bit of my information from a 48 Hours episode that aired recently. Rachel Del Tondo lived with her parents, Lisa and Joe, and they were a close-knit family, especially mother and daughter. Her mother said that she would sit on the edge of her bed every night and recap her day. Lisa Del Tondo obviously knew a lot about her daughter's ex-fiancé, Frank Catropa. Frank is a highly successful CEO of two companies, Coast to Coast Company and Tier One. So Coast to Coast is a group of organizations working in energy and telecommunications. And Tier One is a gas and oil company that works with natural gas and oil speculators. And if you don't know, that stuff is really big in this area, Pennsylvania, my hometown in West Virginia, Gas is the big thing. He was dubbed the Wolf of Aliquippa in one article. Pretty impressive for someone with only a high school degree. He's described as a soft-spoken guy and pretty friendly. The son of a policeman, he had known Rachel since they were young. At the time they reconnected, they were both dating other people. In fact, Frank was engaged. But their desire to be together forced them to end both of their relationships. Rachel was a teacher at the time. Her friends and loved ones described her as a beautiful, genuine, and eager-to-help person. Her best friend at the time, Jen Glovin, recalled ebbs and flows of her relationship with Frank. She described it as very on-again, off-again. She said when they were together and happy on a Tuesday, they could have been broken up and miserable by Sunday. It went back and forth a lot. And this went on for a few years. Rachel had a very old-fashioned Italian values kind of thing going on, and she pushed Frank for stability. You know, a marriage, kids, a home. And Frank resisted. He suggested that they just move in together. But Rachel insisted she wouldn't move out of her parents' home until they were married. She didn't want to disappoint her parents. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. Parents are never too thrilled when you just shack up with somebody. 
and obviously her closeness with her parents factored into her choices. She was adamant about getting a ring on her finger. She even gave Frank a few deadlines. There was a big push from Rachel's parents, too. And they told her, you know, it's been five years of dating. It's time. So whether out of pressure or honest desire, Frank finally proposed to Rachel on a trip to Paris with a six-carat oval ring. And plans immediately commenced for the wedding. Now, if you've never planned a wedding, let me tell you, there's usually a lot of involvement from both sides of the family. Luckily, when I did it, it was all kosher and cool, but I know from a lot of people's stories, it can get really out of hand. And sometimes there's tension because of how much involvement some members want to have. And apparently, Lisa's mother was very involved. She bought her daughter a $10,000 wedding dress and a pair of $3,000 shoes. But to me, this doesn't sound unusual. I think this is the case in a lot of Italian-American families. They kind of consider their daughter their princess. But there was also a lot of involvement by Frank. I get the impression that the Del Tondos were very traditional, whereas Frank seemed more progressive. And he wanted to be very involved in his wedding planning. But Lisa Del Tondo said, You know how you get engaged and you let the woman take over? Frankie didn't want to do that. He was in charge of everything. Wanted to go to the hall. Wanted to see the flowers. Wanted, I mean, if he could have saw her dress, he'd be happy. Okay, so I'm going to play devil's advocate here and say that I don't think it's bad that he wanted some involvement. It was his wedding. And I'm sure he was probably footing some of the bill. Money was also another factor. Frank apparently wanted a prenuptial agreement. Rachel told her friend Jen that it didn't bother her, that she'd sign it. But ultimately, she didn't, and Frank thinks it's due to her mother. So the plans for the wedding came to an abrupt halt. And on the surface, the relationship seemed all right, but according to Frank, it changed. Her family didn't want her to be involved with him, so she was never up front with them when she was with him. And then Frank said he felt himself pulling away. Big trouble came from a trip that Frank took to the Super Bowl in 2016 with some friends, male and female. And that did not sit well with Rachel. They were still dating, and she did not like the fact that he was without her and around other women. It was also around this time that Rachel became fearful. She told Frank that she was being bothered by the police department. He said she was always vague, not giving him details. Her friend Jen said she also noticed a change in Rachel. She felt her friend was possibly doing drugs. When she confronted her at a birthday party for Frank, things did not go well. Rachel took a big swing at her, decking her in the face. Frank, of course, ran over to see what the commotion was. And that's when Jen, crying, said to ask Rachel about the night in the car. Confused, he asked what the hell she was talking about. She was referring to an instance that occurred a year earlier, the same weekend as his Super Bowl trip. According to Jen, Rachel had told her what happened that night, crying hysterically. Rachel told her that she was messaged late that night by 17-year-old Sheldon Jeter. Sheldon had met Rachel when she was his substitute teacher years earlier. By now, he was in a high school and he was a football star. 
And that night, according to Rachel, he needed someone to talk to. So she agreed to meet him in the parking lot at the Circle K. And as they sat and talked, a police officer approached the car. Rachel said to him, you know, things were fine. They were just there talking. However, Jen didn't buy the story at all. She asked if the two were involved doing drugs and or both. Rachel denied everything, but Jen said she felt like she was lying. Rachel assured Frank that this was an innocent situation, a teacher helping a student with a problem. This disagreement destroyed the relationship between Jen and Rachel. Frank, however, stood by his girlfriend, but it did have some nagging doubts in his mind. A year later, those nagging doubts caused Frank to use his connections to the Aliquippa Police Department to get some inside information. He asked Police Chief Joe Percival to see the incident report from that night that Rachel met up with Sheldon Jeter. But here's where things get weird. There was a report, but it wasn't written that night. It was written a year after the incident. So this guy said he insisted it was because he heard about the night, and since there wasn't an original report, he felt that there should be one. Why? Well, he felt that since it involved a minor and a teacher together late at night that it looked odd and one should be created. Okay, so now we have a report. But reports aren't readily attainable to just anyone. One has to have a formal request to see one. Regardless, Frank was given access to this report. And this report told a much different story. In the report, it wasn't around midnight, as Rachel said. It was around 2 a.m. And it wasn't the Circle K parking lot, but an abandoned lot. A police officer approached the car, noticed that the windows were steamed up and that the passenger seat was reclined. According to the report, Rachel said she was just talking to her former student and didn't want anything big to be made out of it because she knew her fiancé, Frank, would get mad. Frank apparently read this report and left the police department with tears in his eyes. He was allowed to leave with the report, which is another huge no-no not allowed by the department. Then, coincidentally, a few days later, someone just happened to anonymously email and text the report to the school where Rachel worked, the school board, the mayor, and the media. So basically, everyone in Aliquippa got this report. Frank denied that he was responsible, but... Rachel's parents, as well as many others, were convinced it was him. He admitted he showed it to a lot of people, but he did not send it out. The trouble was it wasn't just the report. Frank was given a folder that day that contained some very sensitive information, like social security and driver's license numbers. And this was also information that was sent out with the report, a day later, Rachel was suspended from her teaching job. She was completely distraught, even having to spend three days in the psych ward. So what was the actual relationship between Rachel Del Tondo and 17-year-old Sheldon Jeter? Well, according to his attorney, Michael Santacola, it was as salacious as you can imagine. His client told him it had been going on for quite some time, and that they could just try to see each other when they could. 
Lisa Del Tondo disputes this, insisting that Rachel told her everything that was going on in her life. She does admit that Sheldon seemed obsessed with Rachel, even coming to their home drunk one night, beating on all the windows. She said it wasn't until she came out with an air pistol to scare him off that he left. She also proclaims that Frank was obsessed with her daughter, too. And furious over thinking Frank was the culprit in the release of this report, Lisa contacted a reporter at the Beaver Countyan, saying her daughter had some very damning claims about police corruption in the Aliquippa Police Department. She told reporter John Paul that her daughter was involved in an ongoing investigation by state police into the Aliquippa Department. And according to Elisa Del Tondo, her daughter had received death threats. John Paul grew up in this area, and he had witnessed the city's decline. The police force was struggling. Patrolmen were working in two or three different departments just to support themselves. And he suspected that the problems with the department... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. ...ran even deeper. He confirmed that Rachel was in fear for her life as a result of what she knew. By December of 2017, Rachel had cut off her relationship with Frank and Sheldon. Lisa felt that Frank had convinced everyone to side with him, so she once again went to reporter John Paul. She called the paper's tip line. John Paul then talked in depth to Rachel. She claimed that there were a lot of illegal things going on in the department, but she didn't have conclusive evidence. Of course, until he had some kind of proof, he couldn't report anything. Rachel told him she was being followed and had received death threats. One threat even told her that she would never see the end of 2018. She told a reporter that she was working with the Pennsylvania State Police in an ongoing investigation into corruption in Aliquippa, specifically Frank's involvement with the department. And John Paul, without revealing too much, said it would prove problematic for Frank if it proved true. Frank, however, has denied any involvement with the Aliquippa department. By the spring of 2018, Rachel was spending a lot of time with Sheldon Jeter's half-brother, 31-year-old Rashawn Bolton. Lisa and Joe DeTondo said that it was just a friendship, that he was a guy that made her feel safe. They also said the relationship angered Sheldon. Around the same time, Rachel became very close with another former student, 17-year-old Lauren Watkins. 
Lauren said that the two were best friends, Rachel often helping her with her college resumes. But Rachel's therapist apparently told her to stay away from Lauren, that she was too young. Regardless, Rachel ignored those warnings. The two were hanging out on May 13, 2018, which happened to be Mother's Day. Lauren and Rachel were riding around when they passed Sheldon. He then messaged Lauren asking where they were going, and she told him that they were going shopping. Lauren and Rachel stopped at Hank's ice cream shop, and on the way there, they had picked up Sheldon's other half-brother, 26-year-old Tyree Jeter. Tyree was apparently texting Sheldon about their whereabouts and what they were up to. But oddly, Lauren had sent a text to Rachel, who was beside her in the car, saying, go for a walk, I'll come pick you up after. Lauren said the reason for this mysterious message was to get rid of Tyree so that they could be together alone and gossip and talk without him. But Sheldon's attorney, Michael Santacola, thinks that that doesn't make any sense. And I don't either. Regardless, Lauren said she dropped her friend off at her parents' driveway. And she insists that there was nothing weird going on when she dropped her off. Rachel was safe and sound when she left. But less than four minutes later, at the foot of this driveway, Rachel was gunned down at close range. To police, it suggested that it was somebody that she knew. Perhaps due to that infamous report, police first went to Sheldon Jeter. They obtained a search warrant for the clothes that he was wearing at the time of the shooting. And the next person they visited was Frank. Frank, who was dating someone new, was completely cooperative. His alibi was that he was with his new girlfriend at her apartment. The police haven't actually said that he has been cleared as a suspect, but said that he's no longer a person of interest but officials wouldn't confirm or deny this to 48 hours when they were asked. A year has passed, and Rachel Del Tondo's death is still unsolved. However, that doesn't mean that there haven't been some crazy developments in the elements of this case. Aliquippa has an almost soap opera feel with the goings-on. First, there have been three different police chiefs in about one week. Don Couch was placed on leave, and the reason was never really released to the public. Then Assistant Chief Joe Percival, the guy that let the report go out, was arrested. Apparently, he'd been sending obscene text messages to Lauren Watkins, Rachel's friend that was with her the night she was shot. He's currently on trial on felony counts of distribution of sexually explicit material to a minor and unlawful contact with a minor. Aliquippa Police Sergeant Kenneth Watkins was suspended with pay for, quote, close ties to the Del Tondos. His daughter is Lauren Watkins. It's crazy. And then there's Robert Seelock. I think he's the last chief. And he decided to turn the investigation over to the Beaver County D Detectives Bureau. As far as the corruption that Rachel and her mother alluded to, a grand jury investigation is currently being run by the Attorney General's office, and they're specifically looking into Frank Catropa. The investigation is looking into rumors that the department was allegedly giving officers that were about to retire large amounts of overtime in order to kind of pad their pensions. This is according to PennLive.com. And this is also supposedly why 
Police Chief Donald Couch was placed on leave. Then there was this jailhouse letter that surfaced, which declared that a cop killed Rachel. The letter was written to an inmate named Wayne Cords. The district attorney, however, wouldn't say what connection this man might have had to the case or if the letter was authentic. Wayne Cords was arrested for a robbery by, guess who, Sergeant Kenneth Watkins, father of Lauren. But this letter has since found to be a fake. And this is still not the end of the craziness going on. Just hours after the 48 hours aired about Rachel, Sheldon Jeter was found unconscious on the side of the road. Now 21 years old, Sheldon was found on Orchard Street, which is close to where he grew up. An anonymous 911 call came in around 4 a.m. saying an unconscious man was by the side of the road after being thrown from a vehicle. Officers arrived on the scene to find Sheldon unconscious, and apparently he was revived using Narcan, a drug used for overdoses. When he was revived, he started yelling obscenities at the officers, and Chief Sealock said there was no evidence of foul play and that they are treating this as an overdose. However, there are some reports of a blue pickup truck nearby and a screaming woman on a corner but no witnesses have come forward. Sheldon's lawyer said his client has no recollection of an overdose. In fact, he was drug tested later that day, and the results are clean. Sheldon had been at a place called Preeti's in the Strip District earlier that night drinking with friends, and he's not sure how he ended up by the side of the road. His lawyer insists his client was not upset over the airing of the 48 hours, but that he has been under stress since the murder. He's received death threats and a lot of unwanted attention. Like I said, it's like a Russian doll or an onion. New layers keep getting revealed. We have more questions than we have answers. Man, I have a lot of questions, and I'm sure you do too. Like, was she actually sexually involved with Sheldon Jeter? And were they also on drugs? I mean, her friends seem to think so. And honestly, I'm not sure that I can buy the story that she was telling that night about the night that they got caught in the car. It's apparent that she was hanging out with a much younger crowd and she was comfortable with this. So, you know, this could go either way. I will say that it's weird that her fiancé at the time, Frank, got this report and did nothing with it. It went public and effectively ended their relationship. And also, what is going on with this police department? Especially Lauren Watkins' father. This is some weird stuff. You can't just dismiss that Lauren and her father seem to pop up a lot in this case. Lauren sent her that really weird text, and she was the last one to see her. And this I kind of find really suspicious. So that was the murder of Rachel Del Tondo. I don't know that this one will ever be solved. There's a lot of suspicious players and a lot of people with motive. And when some of those people are police officers, you can almost guarantee that it will remain unsolved. And I think Sheldon being found by the side of the road just hours after this 48 hours aired was really strange. But I could not tell you who I think is behind it. I think I would get the hell out of Aliquippa if I were this guy. It's like that guy from Making a Murderer. Like, why do you still live in this small town? 
It's really bizarre to me because this kid seems to have a promising sports career that he should pursue. I'm sure there's going to be news on this in the future regarding anybody involved in this case. And what is the deal with the man who is sexting Lauren Watkins? He was the same one that gave the report to Frank. I mean, there's just so many questions in this case. I can't make any sense of it. But man, I would love to hear your opinions. You can email me at redrumblonde at gmail.com or hit me up on social media. There's Twitter, there's Instagram, and there's a Red Rum Blonde Facebook group. This week was a lot of fun where I work. We had an event for uh, the Stay Sexy, Don't Get Murdered book by my favorite murder podcast, Karen and Georgia Girls. And it was really fun. Uh, I got to plan the whole thing. I had some trivia games going on. I uh, realized I went too deep and I know too much about serial killers. I built a built and painted a giant Elvis head with a hole so that you could throw cookies into his mouth, kind of like a bag toss. So now I have this giant cat head in my house and I don't know what to do with it. But it was a lot of fun and I wish them great success on their book. And, you know, they were such an influence on me and my decision to want to become a podcaster. They're one of the many podcasts that I listened to that really made me want to get out there and do it. So, like I said, wish them great success. So anyways, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and hope to catch you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.